morning, everyone. <laughs> so you would do best to avoid me after the service. Don't shake my hands. I highly recommend no, no hugging today. Um, but I just wanted to, to speak a little bit about, um, we, we're doing a series through Mark, and I'm dealing with Mark chapter 7, but wanted you to, you to think about um, family traditions, if you had any um, things that maybe were, were beautiful comfort, and even maybe today that you still continue them, and things that we hold on to. And I must say, I'm quite a sentimental person, and so I do battle to let go of certain traditions and certain things. I collect things. I, I have a whole lot of rocks from and stones from my favorite beaches, and, and much to my husband's um, dismay, I'll, I'll come back from a holiday with a, a bag full of stones um, with beaches' names on and even down to our outside toilet. It's one of those old school ones that has the, the cistern high up and you know where you pull the chain. And I don't want it replaced because I love the idea of pulling a chain. And so there are things like that. And, and so sometimes it's, it's hard to let go. And um, in Jesus' day, there were many traditions that he was coming up against. And um, we know that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were always kind of, he was rubbing them up the wrong way because he, he was saying things that were offensive to them and often were, was challenging their tradition. And as human beings, it's not just them who, who are the traditional ones. It's also us that have our mindset in a certain way and we battle when, when, um, you know, the system, when anything messes with our, our systems. And some of the traditions are really good. We're currently trying to, to teach our kid, well, Alexander particularly, to wash his hands. And so I had a saying that I was teaching him, if we can have the saying up, it says, um, wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. And so I've been trying to teach him about germs and about God. And I kind of, I feel that if I've, if I've completed those two things, then, then he's going to be a fairly successful human being. Um, the problem with all these things is that if he doesn't take ownership and if it's not something, you know, I can only do so much from the external, but if it's not in his heart, it's not going to be an overflow. He'll come to school and I'm not watching him. I don't know if he washes his hands at school. And so these things need to be owned. And that's what Jesus really came to do was to change people's hearts. And I'm just going to go through um, Mark chapter 7 and just talk a little bit about the scripture before we, we look at our our traditions and how this challenges us. Um, and in Mark chapter 7, it starts by saying this, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And this was an official delegation sent to, to kind of suss Jesus out. And they weren't coming to listen and to receive from him. It's the same as if you, if you follow, especially in America, their, their elections and the debates, and you see the Democrats and the Republicans. They don't go to each other's debates to see if they're going to change their mind. They would go to look for, for material to nail the other party. And this is what was happening in this situation. And in fact, they had formed an opinion about Jesus already. He had already violated the Sabbath. They had already said about him in Mark chapter 3 that he was possessed by the devil. And so they had some harsh things to say about him. So they're not coming just to learn. They're not coming to hear and learn from Jesus like many others were. Um, they were looking for more material to, to pin him down. In verse 2, um, they gathered around Jesus and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they... Um, uh, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. 
So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And this didn't have to do with washing hands for the sake of cleanliness. This was talking about the, the elaborate ceremonies and cleansing rituals that, that they obeyed and were strictly adhered to. And um, if you think about it, they were, they, were in a, they were in a culture where their hands would have got very dirty and they would have had to wash their hands. Um, but this was something more. And, and it's traced back to the time of Exodus when, when the priests had been instructed before they went into the tabernacle to do purification rituals. And so this just spread to the average person doing it be, before a meal. And they even had a prayer that went with it. And you can imagine this to, to many probably started off. And if you were a priest going into the tabernacle, this would have been a very sacred thing. Um, but, but later you can see how it becomes almost something that they pride themselves in. As they, and they, they pray as they're washing their hands and they're going through this ritual and they're saying, Blessed be thou, O Lord, King of the universe, who sanctified um, who sanctified us by the laws and commanded us to wash our hands. And so they go through this, this daily ritual, um, and even many times a day. And what they're doing is they're following tradition. This isn't in Scripture that they commanded to do it in this particular way. Um, but but they, what happened is that there was, a, there was the written law, and then there was also the oral law. And this was part of the oral law. And what was happening is that you had people that were almost commentators of the law, and that became so important that if you had sought on a scale, the, 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 the written law was kind of losing you know, power, and the oral law was being elevated. So much so that there were some interesting quotes that I found. Um, a, a chap called Rabbi Eliezer said, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. That's a very harsh thing to say. If you expound the scriptures in opposition to the traditions, to the oral law, to what's being told to you, um, you have no share in the world to come. And then there was another one that said, um, it is a great offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than it is to contradict scripture itself. And so you can see that that's a very, that's a very serious thing that they're saying, that they're almost saying that if you, if you contradict this, you, you know, rather contradict Scripture. If you're going to choose something, rather, rather disobey the, the written law. And, you know, it became something that they would, they would almost equate eating without washing hands to, to touching human excrement and, and then eating. It was, such a, it was an offense to them. It was something incredibly disgusting. Um, there was a rabbi who had failed to wash his hands, and he was excommunicated. There was another one who was, who was imprisoned by the Romans, and he chose, he only had a certain ration water, a water ration, and he chose, instead of drinking it, to wash his hands and purify himself, and he nearly died because of that, and, and he, was, he, kind of, he became a hero. So we see that, that Jesus not supporting this, this oral law the, the verbal laws that have been handed down was becoming an offensive thing. And that's why people are getting more and more angry with him because Jesus never ever contradicted the scriptures. So in verse six, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. 
For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother is to be put to death. But you, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. And basically he's saying, you hypocrites, you actors, that's the root word of it, you've, you've got this mask on and you're pretending to be something you're not. Um, and then he points out what they do. And what they actually were doing there is that they were, they were, they would, you know, there's this command to honor parents and to look after parents. And, and they were kind of going contrary to that in a very spiritual way. And they made it sound good. And so they would say, well, actually this money, you know, I have a thousand rand that, that, that should be going to my parents to feed them. But um, this, this thousand rand is actually for God. And they would find a way of working it where it actually wouldn't even go to God, but they would make that money work for themselves. And so they were withholding it. And they were looking very good when they were doing it. Um, and so this, this became a, a, a contradicting everything that God had put before about loving and honoring parents. And, and so you can see how they all of a sudden are just messing with God's rules. Um, and you can just see how... how teaching like teaching these things and making turning them into commandments and and that, that's what they were doing they were they were rejecting the commands of God and that is often what happens in legalism is that we reject what God has put forward in verse 14 it says again Jesus called the crowd to him and said listen to me everyone and understand this nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them rather it is what comes out of the person that defiles them and if you think about what Jesus has just said, that is huge. It's probably one of the most pivotal things um, that he has said. If you think about the audience that he is speaking to, when he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them, but what's going into, um, defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. If you think about all their rules, all the laws that they had had that, that would make them, things that would make them defiled. And now he's saying it's not actually coming from the outside. It's actually coming from the inside. And then verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, um, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so you just see that, that Jesus is laying the foundation for changing people's hearts. He's coming and he's almost laying down a new way of living that, that already is starting to rattle people. And he's showing them how, how everything that, that, that kind of used to come from without, and you would think that you would do well to protect yourself, now you actually need to protect yourself and honor God from within. Um, and this is what someone called Barkey says. He says, even outward, um, every outward act of sin is preceded by an inward act of choice. Therefore, Jesus begins with the evil thought from which the evil action comes. 
And so he's really getting to the curing people's hearts. This is where Jesus' work and his ministry is actually beginning. This is the reason that he came, and it's soon going to be um, kind of un- his plan, his salvation plan is soon going to be un- unleashed. And so you just see how it's all building up. We understand it as we look backwards, but this would have all been very confusing. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you know, are you so dull? They're still learning. You can see that they don't even fully understand. I was still wondering, you know, even for them, how they must have felt. They probably saw it as a little bit of a victory because they're getting challenged on why they, they aren't washing their hands. And so they see Jesus sticking up for them and defending them, and they're thinking, thank you. But they probably, that shows, they don't actually understand anyway um, what is happening then, what's going down, because these things are being revealed to them. But I was thinking about in these scriptures and, and looking at where does it all go wrong? How can we learn from this? How can we not repeat these mistakes? And, and if you even just look, because I think if we, if we look at God's word and we see these patterns, it's human nature coming in. And so it's things that we can learn because we're in danger um, of repeating these mistakes. And so the first thing is that if we look at it is how did they land up here? And it actually started out as something very good. If you look at the, the oral law, it actually wasn't as bad in the beginning. If you look in Nehemiah, he speaks about how Israel, the scribe, actually used to explain scriptures to people. And that was, so scri- uh, scribes actually got a bit of an upgrade in that time because they were scribes, but they were learned, so they actually started explaining things to people. So in Nehemiah 8 verse 8, it says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being said. But what happened in, the, in that process is that scribes became experts in the law. And then they would define it, and then they would expand on it, and then they would amplify it, and then they landed up adding to it. And if you think that all of this, this teaching permeated Jewish society, and so all of a sudden what they called the mission of the commentary on the law became something that was elevated, and the word of God kind of went a little bit lower. And they called this the tradition of the elders. So it was something that actually started out as well-meaning, good intentions. I'm sure in those days there would have been a lot of people who weren't educated that, that lapped this up. But that power that they had, they just started adding more and more and, and thus corrupting the word of God. The next thing that you see is that the Pharisees come to Jesus. And instead of Jesus evaluating them, they start evaluating Jesus. They're coming to kind of suss him out. And that's not how things should be. He's the creator of the universe. He's the God who David said, Lord, you search me and you know me. You know my thoughts. That's the creator. That's, that's Jesus. That is God. And not only that, but, but they evaluate Jesus and they come to the completely incorrect conclusions. And, and many people do that too. And so they looked at him, they measured him, but they didn't even measure him by God's word. They measured him by whether he was obeying and observing these oral traditions. So they come up with something completely incorrect. And if you think about it, who are these people? Who are they to come and evaluate Jesus in this way? If you think of Psalm 8 verse 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care about him? What, are, what, what is it? Like, who are we that God even can think about us? And here are these, these arrogant people surrounding Jesus, kind of coming up with some conclusions to nail him. And then the next thing is that, um, we, the next problem is that we see that something has been elevated above God's word. And it said, as I said, mentioned, it seemed like a good thing at the time. But all of a sudden, they, they, they're letting go of God's word and they're grasping to the laws, the external laws. And so whenever we kind of let go of God's, God's hand and his laws and his word, 
we often start to put our hand and step into agreement with with others, with things that are contrary to him. And that was what was happening here. And over the time, you see you see a shift, a subtle shift. It doesn't always happen quickly. It doesn't always happen um, suddenly so that we see that actually this is wrong. Often, and that's the way the devil works, in the subtle ways, over time, these traditions become more and more powerful until they control us. And they also, you see that they're upset with Jesus. They're, they're offended by the way that he is doing things. And remember what Jesus says um, to the disciples. He says, blessed of those who don't fall away on account of me. That, that a lot of the things that Jesus did would seem offensive. There were strong words that he was saying. It was a new way of living. But their minds, in their minds, they get offended by what he's saying. If you look at what happens, they also nullify the word of God in verse 13. And if you think about in 2 Timothy 3, it says in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's essentially what they were doing is that all of a sudden, this powerful, beautiful word of God handed down from the mouth of God, they've, they've removed its power. It doesn't have power for them. What has power is the law that they, they, they run their lives by. And then it also came from some of the most respected people in society, and that's where we also need to be careful, is that all these deceptions didn't come from the riffraff and people that were high on the radar of spreading untruths and lies. It came from people that were respected and honored, looked up to in society. And then if you think about the way that they were, oh, and the, um, 2 Corinthians 11 cautions, um, it says this, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And so we caution to actually, you might be surprised at, at, at where these, these untruths and, and these traditions and these things come from. It's not always from the most obvious places. And then we also see that there's a shift because if you think about it, the hand washing started as something beautiful as the priest purified himself to come before God in worship. Now it's become a hand washing thing as we come and we approach something that, that man has made, food. And so it's to do something in front of man, not to something beautiful to honor God. And you can see how that shift is honoring man instead of honoring God. And then there's also a dissonance in what comes from their lips and, and what is in their hearts. And, and the two just don't match up. And one of the most beautiful things of being in Christ is taking his word and your heart just believing and everything aligning itself. They were also tailor-making things to suit their needs. So if you think about it, when it suited them, they would do something. When it didn't, they wouldn't. And you can see that in a lot of organized religions where, where it, it kind of is tweaked as time goes by. And then something's not working, so it gets tweaked again. And all of a sudden, I'm doing it to suit me and not to honor God. And then Jesus brings it back to the fact that it's the heart of the problem. And I don't know if you've heard that, that cute little saying, but the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And that's absolutely true. Jesus, Jesus brings it back to that and just anchors it in, actually, it's your heart. It's not the externals. Um, and for the Pharisees who were, who were doing a good job at, at, at being good on the outside, he gets to the core of it. There's a, there's a problem with your heart. 
And now where does it leave them? If you fast forward a little bit, um, where does it leave the Pharisees when they carry on with this and they're trying to pin Jesus on everything? They're the ones that, that carry on making accusations against him, carry on nailing him, and Jesus ultimately lands up on the cross. They land up rejecting Jesus. And so you can see the danger of this journey where it starts out as something beautiful, honoring God, someone explaining the scriptures, and it just, it just kind of develops, and it, and it just kind of along the way, it just departs from God's word the whole time, departing from God's word, until next thing, it lands up in a complete rejection of God. And so I was thinking about it, and, and how do we, in light of having to live in, in, in the culture that we do, and, and in this... Um, in, this, in, the, in the society we do, where, where culture can actually be a very beautiful thing, where traditions can be a beautiful thing, it's a special part of life. How can we learn and not, and not kind of make the same mistakes? How can we as believers honor God and, and, and live for Him and live in righteousness, but still live in the world? And I was thinking as believers that probably the, the two biggest things for us that, that, that will be a problem um, for Christians will be actually what other Christians tell us. And so it can often be those, a book, um, a, a mainstream church that we're following, things that, that kind of feed our minds and we start to think certain things are okay. A church that might make a radical stance on sexuality and, and it's contrary to God's word. That sometimes for Christians is the most challenging thing. And then the other is also just the voice of our community and the people that we're rubbing shoulders with day by day. How do, we, how do we stand up and how do we honor God's word? How do we remain pure? How do we not become like the Pharisees? What can we do to safeguard ourselves so that we, we honor God's word and we honor what he's doing in our hearts? And I just kind of, I thought of a few things that, that we can be aware of and, and things that we can do so that we can just maintain purity in our, in our lives before God. And the first and most important is to keep coming back to the Word of God. If you think about that verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. I often would focus on the correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. But you know what the most amazing thing that I was struck with again is? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's from the mouth of God. It's His very breath that has come to us so we can trust His Word. That is our anchor. That is the very thing that we can base our faith on. And that's not a limiting thing. It, it, there's so much. There's such a richness to His Word. You know that you can read something over and over again, and God can continually speak to you because His Word's so rich. He can give you guidance. He can give you, you know, just even instructions on how to live life in the Spirit, on how to live in the church, how to do family. There's so many beautiful instructions that we can trust His Word, and we can trust His ways as good. And then the next thing is to remain convinced that it is the Word of God and that it should not be changed. You know, more and more people are trying to change Scriptures and re-explain them, and re-explain them in a way that actually contradicts Scripture. And if you think about it, that started in Eden. If you think about when, when, when Satan comes to tempt, what does he say? He says, does God really say that? And that's what we have to come up against is people who are saying, did God really say that? And so often we're going to have to, and probably as, as, you know, the end times come, we'll have to, from within the church, start to carefully weigh up what we believe as believers and challenge each other, but keep holding on to the word. And then the next thing is just to allow the Holy Spirit to keep our hearts in check. 
I don't know about you if you've ever reversed and, and you've nearly reversed into another car because you've had a blind spot. And that can so often happen to us is that the very things that God needs to change are the blind spots. The things that, that we have to come before God and as David said, Lord, search me and know me, know my heart. Speak to me, Lord, show me those very things that you want to change. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. Lord, what traditions have kept in? What, what am I doing that's legalistic? What am I doing that I'm actually becoming prideful in, that I'm, that I'm almost kind of creating a system to save myself where I'm feeling good enough, that I feel like I match up? Because the minute we get like that, that we feel like we're good enough and we've done enough, um, the Holy Spirit needs to keep us in check. And once again, as I said in the beginning, it sometimes starts with the best intentions, but as it becomes habit, it becomes a rule. And as it becomes a rule, we pride ourselves. And as we pride ourselves, we become legalistic. And as we become legalistic, we think everyone else should be like us. And then next thing, we're saying things that are totally contrary to what God is saying. We need the Holy Spirit and God's Word to keep our lives in check. For me, something that helps is just doing a regular audit of my life and just to, to look at what is flowing out of me, what is coming from my heart, and to carefully weigh things up. It's sometimes even useful to ask other believers who, who can challenge you and, and to really weigh it up. And so for me, if I think about an audit where, where um, you would do it financially, how would you stop theft? How would you stop things, you know, spending too much in your budget? It would be by taking everything line by line and going, okay, what about this? What about this? What about that? And I, need, I take time to do that in my own life and just, you know, looking at different aspects. How am I honoring God? What is flowing out of God? What is it saying the way I'm spending my money about my heart? What is it saying um, about my marriage? You know, what is, what is my heart showing about my marriage when, when I look at what I'm doing? When I look at my work and my worldview? Um, and Socrates even said, the unexamined life is not worth living. But just taking time to carefully examine our lives line by line and just saying, Lord, I want to honor you in every aspect of my life. My life is yours. And just coming before him so humbly and saying, God, just show me what it is that you want to change. For me, the things that are the hardest are the things that God needs to change the most. The ones where I'm just going, Lord, no, I don't think that's actually wrong. I, and, and then I start justifying it before God. And I don't know if you've ever done that. And uh, God, this is actually why I think I'm right. When I know in my head, when I know through God's word, when his spirit has told me, when he's, he's highlighted and he's saying, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't right. We need to, we need to let go of those traditions. We need to let go of those things that we're holding on to because sometimes they make us feel safer than giving God full control and surrendering our lives. And then weighing up the influences, the people, the voices that we are listening to. There's always a, there's that saying that talks about drinking the Kool-Aid. If you know about all the people that, that drank the Kool-Aid with, um, oh, what was his name? Um, the, the cult where they all, they all committed suicide by drinking Jim Jones. Yeah. And, and so the, the whole thing, and, and, and not you know, kind of taking this, that seems sweet and beautiful, but, but it leads to death. And um, I've realized and seen how, how in, in society and, and how in our culture it's becoming hard to withstand the voices. The voices are becoming louder. That beautiful, and I think we're going to hear from Graham a bit later, and Media Village, and, and just how they're using media because they've seen the power. But it's something that especially we're seeing in the young people, just how it's influencing the way they think. That a random person who has 20,000 followers because they travel the world is telling them how to live their lives. And a random person who's doing this, and, and those are the voices that we're speaking to, and we're letting complete strangers speak into our lives. 
if you look at just what's happening and, and how, how the news is portrayed, how our view of the country is portrayed, how, how certain things are kind of worded to us, we realize that there's so many influences that we're having to come up against. And we need to protect our mind from them. We need to go back to God's word and say, God, you are my influence. What do you say? What does the word of God say? And it was just such a blessing in, in my life um, that that was the way we orientated when we made family choices in our home growing up is what does the word of God say? And for me, that was an anchor. There's a quote here that's from a guy called Ironside, Ironside who said, to the spiritual mind, it's a question of unceasing wonder that men should be so ready to follow and even fearlessly contend for the authority of human traditions while they are just as ready to ignore the plain teachings of the word of God. And that is so true, is that we love to follow those traditions. We love to follow the culture of the day. It takes a strong person to stand up against it and say, I'm going to honor God's word first. And then the, the, the constant one is to keep seeking to die to sin and to live for holiness. If you look in Mark 7, the Pharisees weren't just coming to evaluate Jesus. They had a, a divergent view of, of what sin and holiness was. They felt sin was one thing, and they felt holiness was another. But we go back to what God says sin and holiness is. And where do we find it? We find it in his word by honoring him and his word over everything else. And so as we close, it's just a, a reminder to us from Mark 7 is that there's so many things that we have to navigate as we live in the world. There's so many beautiful things that God has put around us that we can enjoy and honor. But when those things start to be the louder voice, when those things start to be the thing that I hear above God's, I need to go back to his word. I need to go back on my knees. I need to go back and hear from him how I need to realign my life to face north again, to face him, to honor God. The Pharisees never had the, the privilege of aligning their lives by God's word because they were so caught up in what they believed they were doing and they sincerely believed they were right. What in your life does God want to change? What in your life do you maybe think is sincerely right, but maybe you've got it wrong? And maybe you need to be ruthless in how you evaluate and audit your life. Because in the end of the, at the end of the day, this does matter to Jesus. We see it through Mark chapter 7. The heart matters to Jesus. A heart that's dedicated to him is, matters to him. And at the end of the day, that is what counts. So I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your, your goodness through your word. Lord, I thank you that through your word you purify us, that your word is truth. And Lord, we want to be people who honor you and your word above tradition, above culture, above anything that we feel is important that we've hung on to, Lord, because it makes us feel safe, um, because it's something that we love, because it's an idol that we don't want to let go of. But Lord, we want to put you first. Lord, we want to be a church and a people that are marked by being people of your spirit, by people of your word, by people who live life according to, to what you want for us, Lord. Lord, forgive us for sometimes stepping into legalism, stepping into um, feeling like we pride, yeah, that we can pride ourselves in, in what we, we do and thinking that we are righteous and good enough, Lord, when really we need you. Lord, give us a humble reminder this week of just who you are and how much we need you. Lord, we thank you for this community who you've put in place, who love your word, Lord, who love you. And we thank you that we can celebrate and worship you together. Amen.